Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. We're back. Uh, it's Women in Comic Weeks here at uh, Talking Comics, and we're having a Wonder Woman roundtable. And gathered around this table, uh, we have Carolyn Coca, who is the Associate Professor and Chair of the Department of Politics, Economics, and Law at the State University of Old Westbury, and who just presented a paper negotiating the third wave of feminism in Wonder Woman 1987 to 2012 at the Denver Comic Con. Hello. Hi, Carolyn. Uh, Mara Wood, who is our Talking Comics contributor and creator of the Gender Issues column, and a school psychology doctoral student at the University of Central Arkansas. Hello, Mara. Hi. On long, real long distance uh, phone, we have Greg Rucka, who uh, writer of Lazarus, uh, Punisher, and one of the few people to have been writing simultaneously Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. Hi. Hello, Greg. How are you? Good. Um, thank you all for joining us here today. I'm going to briefly, and try to do this as briefly as possible, a quick history of Dr. William Moulton Marston and Wonder Woman and how that turned up in comics history all the way back in 1941. So I'm going to launch into that as quickly as possible, and Bobby, cut me off when necessary. Um, <laughs> Dr. Marston was a Harvard-educated psychologist, and some, some people call him the Dr. Phil of the 1930s, and that he was a very, very popular entertainer. He actually did stage shows. He created the polygraph lie detector, for instance, which is why Wonder Woman has the lasso of truth. And he came to the attention of Max Gaines, who was the president of All-American Comics, which was DC's sister company at that time. Uh, for a magazine article he published for Family Circle uh, called, you know, you know, why are you laughing at comics? Or don't laugh at comics. Why am I drawing a blank on the title of that? And it's right in front of me. Anyway, um, he was a sort of chiding article about the sort of bloodthirsty masculinity of comics and that male her heroes were just completely constructive, uh, destructive and not constructive. Fouled up again. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Max Gaines was sort of, well, if you're so smart, how about you come up with something? And with the help of his wife, Elizabeth, who is an educator and a lawyer, and his former student, Olive Byrne, who, is, who are both the very powerful women in his lives. Olive actually is, at some cases, the model for Wonder Woman, wearing large bracelets and dark, curly hair. And uh, just, they created a character called Suprema, who Sheldon Meyer, the editor, decided, no, that's not such a great name. Let's go with Wonder Woman. Uh, and his wife Elizabeth has suggested, well, whatever you do, she's just got to be a woman. You just must go there. If you're going to have a character that's going to be aspirational for women, that's going to believe in the power of love as opposed to, he thought men's idea of strength was just chaotic and, and, and br brilliantly brutal, if there is such a word, and they went down this road. She appeared first as a small text and picture piece in All-Star Number 8, um, moving quickly just a couple of months later into Sensation Number 1 and then six months later into her own book. And those books were selling over 2.5 million copies a month in their prime, when you start to think of where we're at here. And he melded his own version of the Amazon myth. It's not the bloody ones that are from the real myths, but the sort of ones we read in school as eight-year-olds. Pulled back a little bit. They retreated from the world of men after being tricked by Hercules and so on and so forth, to decide they didn't hate men, they just didn't need them. They could have their own isle of technology and healing and wonderment, pun intended. And they, when Steve Trevor turned up in the story we all know, it was, wow, there's a man here. They used their technology, discovered there was something going on in the world of men. It was the Nazis and the fascists and the war, and that America was the last bastion of freedom and equality for all, 
and they should send an ambassador, their representative to the world of men. And that was Diana who won the contest with bullets and bracelets. And, and, and we found eventually Diana's origin in Wonder Woman 1 where she was a miracle birth in an island of all women. Athena gave Hippolyta the wisdom to create a statue from clay. Aphrodite breathed life into it. And isn't that just special? There's no superheroine origin, no superhero origin, anything like this ever. So here we go. We are now at Wonder Woman's on the page. So, Greg, I'm going to start here with you. Um, what do you think makes Wonder Woman special? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going for the throw. We only have an hour. Um. You know, it's funny, uh, you know, I'm sitting in my office and I've got a couple of, uh, I actually bought a couple of the covers that, that J.G. Jones painted for my Wonder Woman run um, when I was fortunate enough to, you know, write on, on the title. And, you know, what makes her special? Look, I, I think she is awesome. You know, I just, I love the character. I love... I love that there is an open embracing of mythology, which superhero comics uh, often require and yet shy away from. Um, you know, I'm I I I, I took yeah, I I took ancient Greek for years. You know, so this is, this is it, it it fits. I um I love this take on the Amazons, but what makes her spectacular, aside from being female, and that is of issue in uh, a, a medium that is not only male-dominated, but really male-directed, and predominantly, even today, uh, I don't know, the, I, I would suggest that the numbers don't bear it out as much as, as, as the publishers would like to believe, but the publishers certainly believe that it's a male-consumed product as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, love, I, I love her warrior-priest nature. Um, I, I, there, I've always gotten sort of a David, is it David Carradine and Kung Fu sort yes. of feel mm -hmm. off of her. I like, I, I like the stranger in a strange land aspect of her, which is something that most major her heroes uh, lack. Um, I like that she is fully realized, uh, which I know that for some people has been a problem. And for some uh, people, they've argued that that is, in fact, the problem with the character is that she is, quote unquote, unrelatable. Um, but, you know, I, I love the idea of this woman who, of her own volition, leaves paradise to come to our world to, you know, as, as, as the line goes, quote unquote, fight for peace. Uh, oxymoron uh, or, or contradiction in terms of that may be. Um, you know, it, it, it's a hard question. I, I can't, I can't take one brush and paint it. Um, I think she's exceptionally complex. I love that complexity. I think that that complexity arises from a very elegant simplicity in the character. Um, I like that she has. An absolute moral compass um, that she has an established sense of what is right and what is wrong, what is just, what isn't, um, of what is good, of what is evil. And I like that she she comes to the patriarchy, maybe not fully foreign, but certainly agenda intact. And 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 I've always, I've, you know, I've I've always relished that. I've always appreciated the fact that she arrives believing that there is a better way and is unashamed uh, in pursuing it. So awesome! You know, it's probably not a good answer, but that's the best I can <laughs> no. give you for a very hard question. Well, thank you very much, <laughs> Carolyn. Would you like a shot at this uh, yeah. crazy question? Yeah, that was terrible. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Uh, I, I agree with everything Greg said, but I want to answer it first by saying, in a way, what doesn't make her special, which is that 
in some ways, she's very much like Superman and Batman, right? She's for truth and justice. She's for protecting the innocent. She's strong and brave and independent and decisive, um, powerful. And that what make, that's what makes her not special. What makes her special is that she's doing all those things in a female body. And that makes her unusual compared to other superheroes. And that's what makes her stand out so much. And that's what makes her, and I'm sure we'll get to this, a difficult property to manage and difficult for people to grasp onto. She's, excuse my jargon, she's anti-normative. Um, in other words, she's sort of against a lot of our cultural norms. We've passed laws in this country that have made men and women unequal. We've passed down cultural norms that have made men and women unequal. And so she stands against those norms, which makes her anti-establishment and anti-normative and therefore powerful and threatening. Um, the way she's performing these things through this female body um, is also what makes her special, with an open heart and an open mind and an open hand, not with a closed fist. Um, she's, she's an aspirational figure because she inspires us. She inspires us to make ourselves better, inspires us to be more like her, to try to raise up everybody else in the room when we walk into a room. Spectacular. Thank you so much. Mara, for you? Well, you guys all took all the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, but... I, I agree with everything you guys have said. You, you really captured the character. But for me, she presents as unbreakable. That it's almost impossible to bring her down, drag her through the dirt, and just push her down without her getting back up to continue. And I think that's something that um, is really admirable in that character. And that she sticks by her morals so so strongly that she becomes almost invincible in what she believes in. Well, certainly. Uh, Greg, I'm going to start with you again. Carolyn teased this question. With all the talk here about aspirational characters and what she means to everyone, um, you had a quote that said, you know, Wonder Woman can never purely be a soapbox. And so that would lead me to say, well, how do you then write such a symbol when, for instance, readers who might be attracted to that symbol may not be uh, addressed by the company that's actually publishing the book? Well, I mean... You know, I can only answer uh, as a writer um, and, 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 and in that as a dramatist. Polemics are boring. Um, nobody wants to read for entertainment something that's going to lecture them. Um, I, I, it, it, no matter how well it's done, you know. Um, and and it's jumping ahead, but that one of the inherent problems with Diana is that she is a political figure. You can make politics exciting uh, and and dramatic, and I and I feel it should be. I feel that one of the things that DC has consistently failed to do is to actually embrace the political aspect of the character. Um, I'm not. Hmm. I feel like I have strayed from from the question, um, <laughs> and 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 I'm not sure. And now I'm not sure what the question is. Oh, it's how, <laughs> that's okay. It's it's um, how, how do you then write yeah. a character into the politics or into the symbolism without it turning into that history lesson that even Gail Simona said you don't want it to be, and so you're saying the same thing. Well, you know, I, I, but again, well, see, and again, I wouldn't call it a history lesson. I think that what what. DC has consistently failed to do and they run away from is allowing her to have a voice that is a political voice because they're afraid of controversy because they're afraid that controversy will cost them money. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, we're talking about a work for hire property who exists as far as they're concerned to put money in the bank. Um, it's one of the reasons why I think that, and, and I include myself in this so many Portrayals have failed um, because there is she is designed to be a feminist character, and you can't ignore that and expect to do her any justice or expect the book to really have legs. Um, one of the things that I think we've seen going on, no matter that you know how well Brian Azzarello and, and Cliff Chang are working on the property right now, one of the things that's come out of the new Fifty Two reboot is a desperate running away from that 
um, she is anti-political now. And, you know, we don't have to get into uh, the, the morass that, that is the symbology of everything she's wearing. That's a whole other discussion. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's a legitimate discussion, but I do think it often becomes a distracting one. Yes. Um, you know, the people want to talk about, ooh, you know, Marston was kinky. Um, <laughs> and it's like, okay, you know what? Separate the character from the creator and, and accept her as what she is. Um, I just, I don't, you know, when I was on the book, I remember I, I did Dragon Con with, with Drew Johnson, who was drawing the book at that time. And we had three Marines come up to us at one point and say, Wonder Woman, why would I read Wonder Woman? And our response was, because she's the most badass superhero out there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, pick it up and read it. And, you know, they, they left with books and they came back the next day and they said, well, you were right. <laughs> you know gender is always a factor but it runs it it shouldn't be the only factor for her um and i think that that is you know that that's the tall weeds that's where i think a lot of the a lot of creators get lost and certainly where the publisher gets lost um she is a character, um, and she is a character with beliefs, and these beliefs are quite strong. They need to be represented in the storytelling, or else I really feel that the portrayal fails. So, And I'll be yeah. quiet now. Yeah. And by the uh, same token, you don't want her to be portrayed, and Greg, you've used this phrase in other interviews, you don't want her to be portrayed as a guy with tits either. Exactly. And you know, Phil Jimenez says something similar. You, she can't be just one of the guys. It's no. got to be, yes, all the time you have to be aware that she's a woman, but she's doing all these things as a woman. I think I was saying before, you know, strong and brave and heroic, and she'll use force if necessary. Those those traits are not male traits necessarily, and she shows us that they don't have to be male traits. They're just traits. They they can be performed by anybody. Yeah, this need to this this need to both gender her and at the same time ungender her. Yes, exactly. You know, it, it is it, it it is so problematic, and it is in its own way. It's mind a minefield because she she absolutely is a woman. And, 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 and needs to be portrayed as such. But, you know, I, like I say, I, I speak, you know, I, I can't not talk about her except as, as, as a writer. And all I can think is, you know, she, every character is, I've used the analogy that they're, they're a biological process. They are a million cells. And gender is an element of character. And it is a defining, one of the defining elements, but it's not the defining element. <clears throat> and, and we can point people to the piece that you wrote on, was it io9? Yeah, there was an essay I wrote, uh, I guess it was over a year ago about, I was asked why, you know, it, was, it was my response to being asked, you know, how do you write such strong female characters as <laughs> if... <laughs> as if there's a, a, That's crazy. a vault somewhere, and that <laughs> you should write that book. Yeah, I mean, there's a secret. You know, oh wait, you did. It's called Wonder Woman. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I just uh, I get frustrated because I, I, she is so important. Just I feel as a character in literature, and. It kills me how often she's mishandled um, or diminished or reduced. And, and, and as, as has been said, you know, I mean, you can't really – she has yet to be defeated in, in, in the sense of how she has been abused by the publisher and marketing and so on. She, she always rises again. But I just I, – I really wish it wasn't a fight, you know? <laughs> Uh, I'm going to throw this one over toward Mara. Um, we'll start here. Uh, picking up on something you said, Greg, well, Wonder Woman and feminism, where are we today in terms of how the character is being presented and then how it's being received by an audience that may not even be interested in that message anymore? <laughs> um, well, 
I, for one, had recently reduced my pool list, and I was on the fence about not following the current Wonder Woman series anymore because it just made me so angry reading it month to month because I felt like she was a secondary player in it. And you have the same feel with Justice League as she's Superman's girlfriend and kind of um, she doesn't, she's not in charge of her own destiny anymore. And I think a lot of that is missing in comics currently. Now, as far as like the broader picture, people still look to her as a symbol of feminism. And that's just because it's almost synonymous. If you know anything about Wonder Woman, you know that what she stands for and you can easily link that to feminism. But in all honesty, what I've read since New 52, it doesn't match up. Carolyn, how do you feel about this issue? About the New 52 or about... Or just Wonder Woman feminism in general, where are we today and... Well, I think the difficulty is, and I I see this as a teacher, you know, my students are mostly from 18 to 21, although I have some older ones as well. And the the number of times I'm teaching and a student prefaces a statement with, I'm not a feminist, but, and then goes on (laughs) to say something very feminist, I think is troubling. I think the word has been hijacked. Um, And if people just understood that it just means that you think people should be treated equally, it really wouldn't have to be so contentious and such a hot button and something to be afraid about and something that there's controversy Mm -hmm. over. Um, I think people, (laughs) even people who actually don't practice equality in their daily lives, at least subscribe to the ideal or tend to say that they do. So um, I think that just by, you know, you could argue that just by being a female character, there is a feminist statement happening. There is a feminist statement that this woman is as heroic, as strong, as powerful as all of these male heroes. However, um, you have to have, I think, certain things in place for her to be feminist. For one thing, she has to be desexualized. And I don't mean de-sexy. You know, you can be uh-huh. powerful and strong and sexy, but you, if you're not, if you need to be a subject instead of an object. So I would say the sexualization comes when someone is being portrayed as an object and the art is taking you out of the story because you're, you're almost forced to gaze at certain body parts sure. instead of seeing yourself through that hero, putting yourself in the place of the hero. And I think that the new 52 Wonder Woman has done that. I think she is desexualized, and I think that's great. On the other hand, um, I agree that she doesn't seem to be the star of the show. Um, It's one thing to be part of an ensemble. It's one thing to have a circle of friends and allies around you, and I think that is an important aspect of of Wonder Woman's history, but this doesn't feel like that. This feels like they're smarter than her, they're leading her around, and she's just kind of a secondary player. That doesn't make her stand out as special um, in any way. And you, you could argue that this new portrayal is feminist because of the desexualization and just because she's this female character and it's a female-headed title. But the level of violence seems to have jacked up. You know, what I was saying before about having an open mind and an open hand doesn't really seem to be the way Mm -hmm. that it's going. She seems quicker to violence as opposed to using as Mm -hmm. as a last resort, Less, less about using her words and using diplomacy to try to bring people around to, um, to a more uh, equal, peaceful, loving Mm -hmm. point of view. So on the one hand, yeah, you want to be careful with preachiness. You want to dial it back. You want to be able to show instead of tell. But what's being shown here is not such a great reflection on what the char- on all the character could be. So there are people who will argue that this is a feminist portrayal. I would argue that it's more of a just one of the guy's portrayal that's not terribly helpful, not terribly feminist. Thank you much. Very well done. Greg? Yeah. You on this have something on this one, or we sort of covered your. I think Carolyn is dead on. Okay, I absolutely agree with that. Um, you know, I mean, we talk about a medium that, in in the main, you know, depicts uh, men uh, as uh, asexualized Adonises, um, and then you know presents women with, you know, incredibly prominent sexual characteristics. Um, Questions about the redesign in the New 52 notwithstanding, I do think that, you know, I mean, there have been, yeah, you know, uh, the objectification of Wonder Woman as opposed to, you know, 
her her, her a, a character with her own agency is has has been a consistent problem, and it's it's unfortunate that I don't know. I I am glad that they have at least attempted to address some of the immediate problems in the costume, in in the visual of her in the new 52. But they seem to then promptly undo it uh, in in the portrayal. Um, And there is an element where she has become alternately one of the guys um, in that, you know, she's engaging in very, quote-unquote, male problem-solving behavior. Um, But at the same time, she's... You know, they've, they've taken Stranger in a Strange Land and they've made her um, almost noble savage um, in, in some aspects, I think. Um, and but, I, I would know, point, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go on, please. I was going to say that I wouldn't say she's been desexualized in her Justice League portrayal. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, no. Which because. has many times the sales of the Wonder Woman title. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and in, in Justice League now... I, well, I don't. I don't understand why Jeff has made the decision. He has made. <laughs> I really don't. And I'm very, very fond of Jeff. And I think he's, he's very, very. He's a smart guy. He's a very gifted writer. Um, I do think that one of the things we're seeing in the current portrayal of Diana in Justice League, at least, is a response to that not knowing how to handle her, not knowing where to place her. And, and how to allow her to be who she is. Um, and it's interesting, you know, I mean, again, from just from, from, from a writing point of view, you talk to different writers, and anybody who's ever written Diana, we all have things that we agree upon, and we all have things we violently disagree with. I, I can remember arguing with Phil Jimenez at, at a WonderCon over a decade ago about definition of Amazon. And... Mm and what the canon Amazon should be. And, you know, I'm a classicist. I'm like, I want, I want an element of the Herodotus Amazons. That's what I want. I want Herodotus Amazons. I want women who scared the shit out of the ancient <laughs> Greeks. All right? Because it was a patriarchal culture that worshipped the penis. Quite literally worshipped the penis. And, you know, Herodotus <laughs> was writing... A horror fiction. It was it was it was splatterpunk, you know, to the ancient Greeks, and that element to me was as important as their ability to then create a paradise. Um, and Phil was like, "No, they shouldn't." You know, and they, he didn't, he never wanted Amazons to be that savage in quotes, to be that uh, that martial. And I was I've always felt there was a. An essay, it's a book of essays by an Israeli uh, essayist named Amos Oz called In the Land of Israel that I read long, long ago. And in it, he goes throughout the country and he's basically interviewing people. And there is one guy, and most of the interviews are people who are, you know, this is how we work for peace and they have these very positive, noble hopes for the future of, of, of the state of Israel, right? And then there was one essay where... And he was asking everybody, you know, how do we how do we ensure peace in the Middle East? How do we how do we achieve this? And this one guy came back and he said, "What we do is we build a wall and we kick the ass of anybody who tries to cross it. <laughs> and once we have done that, we will have peace." And it was a very shocking essay to read at that time. You know, it was it was a very unpopular take. There's an element of in the mythology, in the DC mythology of the Amazon ret- Amazon's retreat to Themyscira that I do think has that. Um, one of the other things we're talking at the bit, beginning, you know, one of the things I love about Diana, it's easy to believe in peace when you're never threatened. Hmm. You know? Themyscira hmm. can live in peace because nobody can find the damn island. <laughs> you know? For Diana to then leave that, you know, really to leave paradise... To then go into a world of strife and conflict in the hopes of going, you know what, I believe we can do it. You know, that, there's, there's a beauty in that. There's a pathos in that that I think is just so powerful. Yeah, and immense, brave, immense bravery, too, from the yes. character to, to take that stand. 
And I think that's one of the reasons why her departure from Themyscira is so crucial to the mythology. I think her willingness to leave is heroic self-sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why she works better when she can't go home. Um, if she can ever return, the sacrifice is diminished. So. And that has happened a couple of times for company edicts and whatever, where it's either gone into other dimensions, blown up, or uh, end of the crisis, so on and so forth. Um, look, we've done a lot of sort of real philosophical, more being more specific, Mara, I think I'll start with you on this one. Um, do you have a favorite Wonder Woman moment or a... Uh, favorite run, favorite creator. What's you know, which run may have served the character best? Some stuff like that. Oh, okay. Um, well, I'd have to say my first dive into it was with George Perez. Um, I kind of dabbled a little bit in the Shazinsky run before heading right to those older graphic novels, and I really enjoyed the way the Greek gods were presented in that series. But as far as a single moment, um. I think it'd have to come from uh, right after Martin was turned to stone and mm, Wonder yes. Woman went off to pray and prep for battle. And I was thinking, like, why is this moment so interesting to me? Why am I so fascinated with it? And I came to realize, like, you don't see that kind of humility in a character. You don't see someone recognizing where their strength comes from and mm-hmm. going to their faith to ask for help with something and I think that is something that a lot of characters are missing they don't know or they're not willing to recognize where their power comes from and ask for help and it also appeals to me as a Christian seeing that in a character beautifully put Carolyn well I think what you're going to say is related to what she just okay. said so where uh, are you Yeah sure Greg uh to me that the moment that follows that really it's in in 217 where Diana who to to defeat Medusa has blinded herself so she doesn't get turned to stone actually blinded herself with the snake's venom from her hair in given a chance actually prays to Pallas not for her sight back but to restore Martin Garibaldi to life. And that is, that is just one of my favorite moments in 70 years of reading this book is that little moment there. So just thank you for that. And then Athena's like, no, maybe if you go get Hermes out of the underworld, I'll think yeah. about it. <laughs> because she's a Greek god. <laughs> that's how they are. They're like that. Who wrote that? Um, Okay. I, um, hmm. All right. I have several. This could be a problem. Sure. I'm going to be wicked fast. Uh, one, I have one Marston quote. She, after one of Steve's many proposals, she says, if I married you, Steve, I'd have to pretend that I'm weaker than you to make you happy. And that no woman should do. Nice. Um, I also like the last page of George Perez's number one, where she has her arms over her head and she's smiling. I like Phil Jimenez's description of the Wonder Woman Foundation. That's very lengthy, so I won't read it out loud. Um, I like uh, Greg's um, end when he has her say, I'm not the mission you are. And and I'm sorry, I don't have it in front of me, but it's something like, you stand with me when you stand up for people without voice, something like that. Um, I like Gail Simone writing Amazon's defend instead of Amazon's attack. And I love how she writes uh, Diana with Dinah. And um, I'll stop there. (laughs) (laughs) Greg, how about you? You were obviously a fan before you started writing the character. Which one spoke to you? You just want to get me in trouble now. (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. You're talking about your favorites, so everyone else will understand if you stop at a certain point. Don't mention... I love love the originals, but but I... I have never been able to successfully divorce myself from... I have enough of the English major in me that uh, I, I cannot read them. I, I cannot separate the symbolism and the camp. Um, but, you know, it was... it was. George gets a lot of um, a, a lot of praise, and justly so. You know, the Paras run um, far more than anything else was the run that brought me to to Diana. Um, I, I 
I cannot find a single moment there. Not, a single moment is not springing to mind. Um, but I remember reading the issue one and just being blown away. Um, just falling in love with, with both the character and the idea. Um, it had never been so clear to me. And I'm a guy who grew up watching Linda Carter. So. <laughs> Uh, actually, on that front, should we... Well, oh, just one ahead. thing. Uh, just so everybody knows out there, yeah. uh, we were supposed to have Trina Robbins on this show, and we kind of couldn't connect with her. She just emailed me. She's here. So I'm going to call her in right now. So oh, we'll cool. get 20 minutes with her. Not as much as we wanted, but at least we'll get 20 minutes with her. So I'm going to call her right now. Mm. So do we keep talking? Or well, just no, no, it's going to be raining, <laughs> okay. so you're not going to be able to talk. <laughs> Do I have five minutes? minutes? <laughs> I am so apologetic. I am so sorry. I think I must have gotten home right after you left your second message and you didn't leave a phone number. That's it's all right. Okay, it's totally all right. We, we're calling you from a computer program, so we couldn't even give you a number to call back. Um, uh-huh. But you're but here I'm now. here for 15 minutes. You're here for 15, 20 minutes. That's, that's amazing. Uh, so I'm so- going to throw it back to Bob so he can. Sure. Yeah. Hello, Trina. Nice Hi. of you to join us. <laughs> What's your favorite moment? Yeah, we, 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 that's where we're at right now. So you're perfectly poised. We were just, uh, you know, what is your favorite Wonder Woman moment, your favorite run of the book? What made her My special for you? Wonder Woman moment. Ah, you know, I've been saving this because I thought if I ever, ever wrote a Wonder Woman comic, I would put it in. But I'm going to tell you my favorite Wonder Woman moment, okay? Okay. Um, From 2008 to 2009, I was getting chemotherapy for breast cancer. Um, So I was back and forth in, you know, the chemotherapy treatment place. And afterwards, of course, for lots and lots of checkups, I am so far four years and I'm cancer-free, so that's great. Congratulations. Okay, Okay, so one day I went into the infusion center um, because I, actually I was finished with my chemo by then, but I I still had to get checkups and everything. Okay, I went into the infusion center and there was a woman in a complete Wonder Woman costume, everything, the long curly hair, the entire, and the classic costume, you know the one, Mm -hmm. the classic one. And I was just totally taken aback. I said, wow, you look so great. She said, this is my last chemotherapy, and, oh. and I'm celebrating at, as, as Wonder Woman. And that is my favorite Wonder Woman moment. <laughs> That's great. Oh, that has to be in a book somewhere. You have to find a way. Okay, don't, nobody steal it, please. Okay. No, no, and no. then if I ever do get to write Wonder Woman, I'm putting that in. Yeah. Are we still there? Uh, yes, we're yeah. still there. No, I was just <laughs> leading away from the microphone for a second. Um, what we we had some other questions from previously. So what we you know since we missed you on this, we had some that I we definitely wanted to ask you. One you just sort of answered because I did, we did ask you know what makes Wonder Woman special, but I think you sort of went there. But if you want to expand, you can. Well, you know she's an icon. Look what she means to so many women. You know, <clears throat> and I hate to say this, but. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, you know, obviously the guys right now who are on this line understand her, but so many men do not understand her, and that's, of course, why she hasn't had a movie yet and why she's treated so badly in her comics. She's an icon to women. She's a symbol of strength. She's a symbol of, of liberation. She's a symbol of feminism, and she's also a symbol of love and compassion. She's not violent. No matter what they've done to her recently, the real Wonder Woman is not violent. There we go. That, that just answered about seven questions, Trina. I just, just made a, a, a complete run there. Now, you, you mentioned the movie. I'll throw this out to everyone. I don't know who wants to go first here. Uh, Greg, I guess. So uh, considering the success of the Linda Carter television show, what is the hang-up with getting a movie project going here? I think that from a Hollywood point of view, they <clears throat> think I, I, I've read a couple of screenplays and I've been privy to a couple of discussions and it comes back to the same stuff. They are afraid of they're, they're afraid of the character. 
Um, the note that I see most often attached to these things is, can we do it without the mythology? Can we do it without <laughs> no, the mythology? No. no. Does she the whole point is the mythology. Episode? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and it's that sense of, she, how do we relate to her? She needs to be relatable in this sense that, uh, and I don't know if this is entirely gendered, if it is because it is a woman with these powers or if it is because of the character with these powers. I don't know why it is that it's okay for Superman to be able to be strong and fast and bulletproof. Um, and I suppose the argument is that Superman is not relatable, that there is, there is a cynical approach to Superman that says, well, anybody with those abilities would never be that noble. But that's what I hear over and over again, is that we cannot relate to Diana. We have to make her, quote-unquote, relatable. relatable. As, if, as if it is the powers that make her unrelatable, as opposed to the writing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Thor, I mean, which comes See, from that, the same mythology. Is, okay, and that is exactly the counter-argument, right? You look mm -hmm. at the Thor movie, which I thought was an excellent film, and they took what is really a complex mythology, right? And they told a very simple story, and it worked beautifully. You don't, you know, if, if, if the world is complex, then the story needs to be simple and clear. You don't worry about overloading the plot. You have, it, 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 you know, you write, you write the damn character. So... <laughs> And I also think that there is, I'll, I'll add that I do think that there is, there's a, a rather fallacious argument that goes that, well, you know, no actress wants to, quote, unquote, wear that costume, end quote. Linda um, Carter didn't mind. Well, <laughs> like, I, like I said, it's a fallacious argument. Yeah. Um, the, the bit about relating to her is, is very funny because, of course, women do relate to her. They don't have to make her relatable. Women relate to her already. And the, a very important point is that, you know, she is such an icon. Women know her immediately. Um, yet, most of these women, or at least a large amount of these women, do not read the comic book. And if they did, they'd really be quite shocked and horrified, because that's not the Wonder Woman they relate to. Yeah, either from... Agreed. From the, merchandise, I think yeah. a lot of it is the, the iconography on merchandise and the assumption yeah. of what Wonder Woman would be about and that many times in her 70-year history hasn't matched up with what was going on in the comics. Yes, but they do all know that she's an Amazon and they mm -hmm. know that she's a princess. And, and that should be, you know, her story is so vital. And if you're talking about relatable, as we were discussing earlier on, you know, her origins... You know, a miracle child born from clay from a woman who can't have a child. How many people yes. would that speak to mm -hmm. yes. in an audience that they're not even thinking about? I think they're making the mistake of assuming that she's unrelatable. Mm -hmm. Because, honestly, Wonder Woman is everything I want to be. And I yes. find that extremely relatable. Right. Even though she's from this island of all women, and she had an unconventional birth, she has all these superpowers, she's still Diana. She's still someone... I want to watch on screen. I want to read her comic books. I want to oh, yeah. immerse myself in who she is. And I don't, I don't know who exactly is saying that she's unrelatable, but I would guess it's a man who has never had um, any type of discrimination or uh, feeling of inferiority. Yeah. They, just, they just don't get it. And what would make Thor relatable? Yep. These are always men. <laughs> oh, they are. They, they're, they're always, but you know, look at look who's running studios. Look who are editors in chief. Look who are the publishers. You know, when was, you know, I, I, I don't think that there is. I don't believe that in many cases it is a conscious sexism. No, uh, right. But but it's certainly sexist. Mm -hmm. You know so. Um, you know, what they really mean, uh, not just the, 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 the studios, but the, the editors and the writers, you know, at, at D.C., what they really mean is they don't understand her. But women understand her. Women get it. Amen. It doesn't matter if those guys don't get it. Some men. Except that they Some shouldn't men. be writing her. <laughs> they don't get it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Now, on that front, Trina, uh, it's good that you're here for us because I have a question that I'd like to ask you. As one of the few female creators who've taken a handle of Wonder Woman quite well, your miniseries was just so beautiful and Once in Future Story with Colleen Doran. Uh, why are so female, so few female creators getting a crack at this character? You know, is it simply the math? There just aren't as many female creators now as there were, or is it there's some sort of unspoken sexism to who gets assigned to this book? Maybe. I believe that Gail Simone was one of the best Wonder Woman writers ever, outside mm-hmm. of William Moulton Marston himself. Um, there, well, it is true that there aren't a whole lot of women uh, writing. Uh, you know, comics. I mean, not mainstream comics anyway. There are tons of us who are writing non-mainstream comics who are writing graphic novels. Maybe Kelly Sue DeConnick could write Wonder Woman. Maybe Ooh. Trina Robbins could write Wonder <laughs> Woman. Yes, you, you have a moment that we're not allowed to steal. <laughs> That's right. Um, let's see where we're at here. We need to... Yeah, Mara. Uh, well, we're, we're at this. As, as someone who studies, uh, you're going to be a school psychologist, so you're going to be dealing with children. Is there, is there a way that this character can be uh, presented to give children a, an inroad in the way they were when the book was created initially toward equality for women, that men can look at this character as an inspiration as well as young girls can? Uh, definitely. I mean, there are several moments in her publication history that lend itself to teaching um, for instance, there's one panel, I cannot for life remember what issue, but it's after um, she busts open like a, some sort of sex, sex slave trade or something mm-hmm. like that, and she's being interviewed by all these reporters, and they're like, where do you get your hair done? And um, our readers really want to know, and she's like, did you not just see what happened here? You're asking me about my hair? And just little moments like that that illustrate how women are perceived in media that can be taught to both kids, teenagers, adults, men, and women, um, as far as moments of uh, morality as well, like snapping Max Lord's neck, it was it right, was it wrong, uh, family issues. I mean, there's such a rich history there and so much to pick from education-wise and therapy-wise that is just, it's really an unstoppable character. Who wrote that scene? That story. I think. Who wrote it? Greg did. Greg did. Greg did. Oh, good for you, Greg. Good for you. He was was coerced, however. (laughs) Some lady made him write that. Um, Can can I answer the question? It nailed it on the head, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You just... I mean, any politician you see out there is asked, you know, where do you get your clothes from? Or tabloids pick apart every single physical detail. There's, there's a gift set um, running around on, on Tumblr that I see at least three or four times a week where it's um, Scarlett Johansson uh, doing junket um, for, say, the Avengers or Iron Man. And she's sitting next to, you know, either Hemsworth or um, I forget the actor who played Cap or Robert Downey Jr. And you will see the questions that they're being asked. And then she'll be asked, um, so did you have to diet? And and her responses are always like, wait a minute, that's what you're asking? I mean, she calls it out every time I see it. And I adore her for it. Mm -hmm. I love that she does not accept the question. Mm that, that she slaps it right back. Um, it, it's it. <laughs> it's so frustrating. It is. It is but insulting. It, to were, the teaching moment, I think, Carolyn. You right. You to? were talking about, you know, an entree for girls. And I think that the problem really is um, that we assume that young girls are going to watch cartoons that have male main characters, and we assume they're going to read comic books that have male main characters, Mm -hmm. and we just can't make the same assumptions about boys reading um, comics or watching TV shows that have female characters Mm -hmm. as leads. And until we get past that, and until we stop using the word girl as an insult for boys, don't cry like a girl, don't throw like a girl, stop Uh acting like a girl, 
um, and it doesn't get devout girlish femaleness doesn't get devalued for young boys, then boys should be able to identify with female characters just as girls have always been somewhat forced to identify with male characters. But ideally, the gender wouldn't matter. Ideally, you can identify with a character because um, of their strong character traits. Gender can be one of them, sure, but there should be other things going on, too, that you can identify with or aspire to. Heck, that brings us... Oh, go ahead, please. Sure. Um, I recently did a presentation at San Diego Comic-Con on this theory of transportation, about being pulled into an environment that you're reading. And we did look at gender differences, and we found that men transport higher, but the character that they transported the most with was a female character. Hmm. And that goes against everything that we've been told. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But as far as, like, identifying with a female character, I would assume that it is possible from research I conducted last year. Mm. Uh, but I don't think it's widely accepted. Right. Right. I do want to say real quick, I want to chime in real quick. Uh, this is a quote from who I guess you'd probably call the, the king of the superhero film right now. J- Joss Whedon, a couple months ago, kind of uh, took issue with a lot of these things we're talking about. And he said, toy makers will tell you they won't sell enough. And movie people will point to the two terrible superheroine movies that were made and say, you see, it can't be done. It's stupid. And I'm hoping the Hunger Games will lead to a paradigm shift. It's frustrating to me that I don't see anybody developing one of these movies. It actually pisses me off. My daughter watched The Avengers and was like, my favorite characters were the Black Widow and Maria Hill. And I thought, yeah, of course they were. I read a beautiful thing by Gino Diaz who wrote, if you want to make a human being into a monster, deny them at the cultural level any reflection of themselves. He says, I was raised by a hardcore feminist. I was also much smaller than my brothers and bullied a lot. So I identify with the feeling of helplessness. Well, there you go. And Trina, That's you right. said something uh, a while back in, in an interview where you were talking about you know, why girls aren't reading comics or not buying comics. And you said, well, if you don't, I'm very badly paraphrasing, but if you, don't, if you present us with characters that are insulting and humiliating, of course we're not going to buy them. Of course, exactly, exactly. What I have said, I mean, God, you know, I went through so many years of editors saying about my proposals, oh, this is very nice, but it's for girls, and girls don't read comics. Well, girls don't read comics where, you know, with, with overly muscled guys with big chins beating each other up, and, <laughs> and women with, you know, giant breasts and teeny little outfits, you know, that insult them. Girls do read comics when there are comics that girls want to read. Yeah, I, I'd love to see the demographics on books like Saga on the indie books that have strong female characters. And what those numbers, are those 30%, 40% female readers as opposed to the 3% we're seeing from DC and Marvel, I guess, is about 7 or 8. Mm-hmm. Really? When you brought up, um, somebody brought up the Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't get it. How come, I mean, everyone loves the Hunger Games, and look how well Brave did. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so how come the Hunger Games is so great, Brave is so great? <laughs> Excuse me, I get excited. Um, (laughs) And then they say, we can't do Wonder Woman. Exactly right. It is such a wonderful story at so many levels. It's the action-adventure. It's the mythology. It's a wonderful, wonderful human character. Mom issues. We can deal with sisters. It's all there. It should be an, an easy home run. And yet, somehow, we don't. My understanding is that actually Brave is viewed as a failure by Hollywood. You're kidding. No. But, wow. you know, their, their, their metrics are skewed and very self-serving metrics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they look at an opening weekend gross and on that basis alone, and sometimes on an opening night gross, will determine a movie's success or failure. They will not look at, okay, the impact that this has had, the longevity of it, um, the persistence of it, you know. I mean, I thought it was. I, you know, I love Brave. Me I too. It was fantastic, and I love the fact that I could take my daughter to it, you know, yeah. and that she could see herself. Um, but you know, I mean, the the thing is, Hollywood doesn't give a rat's ass about the culture. They give, you know, they only <laughs> care about making money. That's all they care about. But but as you've pointed out, and, and other people have too, um, women tend to control household spending more than men do. Women tend to go to more movies than men do. So yeah. economically speaking, their calculation is simply wrong. Yeah, the calculus <laughs> is flawed because it, I, I, the, only, the only possible, 
the only possible conclusion I can draw is that it's, it, it is a sexist calculus. It is, it is a calculus that looks at, they know where the, where the, 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 the spending power is. And yet at the same time will produce research in quotes that says, you know, well, female led uh, action movies will not be successful. Um, you know, or they will lose, you know, as I, and I've remarked on this before, they, they, the self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, nobody went to see fill in the blank. Therefore, yeah. people do not want to see women in these roles. It's like, actually, no, we just don't want to be insulted and see bad movies. <laughs> you know, don't, don't, don't make me complicit in your chauvinism because you turned out crap. And now you're blaming me because I wouldn't spend 15 bucks to go sit through it. Um, you know, it, 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 we're, we're talking about stuff that is so, I mean, clearly is influenced on such a fundamental cultural level. That I do think there is there is a disconnect, even within that they don't see that on one hand they have research that they put great stock in that says the spending power in a financial in a household is controlled predominantly by women, and at the same time produce research that says but you know nobody wants to see women. Yeah. Um, there's that thing that, that was going around um, the TV studios, and I think is still going around, and some people still believe. Uh, for at least the past 30 years, which was that boys won't watch a Saturday morning animated show that stars girls, but girls will watch a Saturday morning animated show that stars boys. Therefore, let's not have any animated shows that star girls. Can I mention something that Greg was talking about? Sure. Um, about, you know, the bombing of female movies. As a comic book fan, I feel personally responsible to buy every single comic book that has a female lead in it regardless of quality just so I can boost those numbers up to get more female solo books to increase the chances of one being fantastic I find myself in the same place a lot of books I buy (laughs) 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 but I do not read (laughs) with good reason right but what if that supports a really stereotypical kind of characterization of women? And that's where the problem comes yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, yeah. I want more, so I spend money. No, it's, I'm not happy it's with a it. hard calculation yeah. to make. Yeah. 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 Where's the divide on that? It, it, what's really sad is where, where all this math goes wrong is things like Terminator 2, mm-hmm. Aliens. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we've seen... You know, as bad as some of this have been, people went to see Resident Evil movies a lot to see Mia Jovovich shoot up zombies or whatever. Buffy lasted for how many years on television Buffy, and was very successful? Right. So the, if the characters are presented well and they're well-rounded people, mm-hmm. men and women will watch the things. Mm-hmm. I know Steve just watched the animated Wonder Woman film from 2009. Hello, Steve. Oh, that was terrible. <laughs> Hello, Bob. <laughs> Movie. Oh, you didn't like that one, Trina. We're pretty much fans. I liked it. It was awful. I couldn't even finish watching it. I, I had to turn it off. It was so terrible. Are we sure that we're, tall, we're all talking yes. about the right one? It yeah. was. I, it was a little more violent than I would have preferred, and it had a more little. Even, I mean, look what they did. They turned Eddie Candy into some kind of a, a sneaky bitch. Eddie Candy, who was Wonder Woman's best friend. You know, there's no sisterhood in this thing at all. They have Steve Trevor actually speaking to Wonder Woman's mother and saying, your daughter has a nice rack. Yes, he, yes, he did. I forgot that. For You're that. right. You're right. She should have had him killed for that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I, I, think, I think we'll skip my opinion. <laughs> but I but didn't, uh, Gail Simone, I believe, wrote the the screenplay. To be yeah. fair. And then it was edited after that. Yeah. To be fair, there were glimmers, there were moments of, of hope and of, of, you know, what the character does stand for. Maybe it was muddled a little bit in between, as, as Trina has clearly shown me right now. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I enjoyed it within the moment. Maybe I need to rewatch it again. Me too, I think. We should I, all watch it together. To yes. It. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I was just happy to see a Wonder Woman movie. <laughs> right. I would have, at that point, accepted anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no, see, that's oh the God. trouble. 
people are willing to accept anything, and we mustn't. It has to be a good Wonder Woman movie. Yes. I mean, look at we all. We've all seen the pilot, that terrible pilot. Mm-hmm. That, oh yeah. You know, thank God, never happened. Mm-hmm. That was awful. Uh, <laughs> Steve and I watched that and did a drunk tweet of that. You know, make the pants less shiny and. Oh, we made it. We made it amazing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my favorite bad moment in that is she's got this captured perp in a, in a hospital room. She sneaks her way in by showing a guard her chest. And then to get information from a helpless guy in a bed, she has the magic lasso on his chest, doesn't ask a question, breaks his arm. That says Wonder Woman to me. <laughs> I just had to throw that there. Anyway, uh, the clock on the wall is telling me that we're, we're actually nearing the end of our time here. So if I go around the room once and everyone has uh, something they'd like to finish off with here, uh, Carolyn? Well, I I can't leave um, without honoring my daughter's request. My daughter is six, and she asked me to ask Greg a question. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I swear this is true. She asked me to ask you this yesterday. She wants to know, why didn't Diana squirt the venom into Medusa's eyes instead of her own eyes? Ooh, that's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) That is a good question. And uh, and the answer is I kind of cheated. Um, one of the things that's going on in the story is that uh, Medusa can compel you to look. Uh. Um, and what is unclear and what I was trying, because I really did try to construct it so that it looked like there was no way out. Mm-hmm. That was, that was, therefore, her decision was, right, if you're going to force me to look at you, if you're going to force me to turn to face you, then I'm not going to be able to see anything when I do it. And that yeah. was why. Um, and and then well, that way you could get the reaction shots. Better. <laughs> I'll let her know you said that. <laughs> um, but the flip side is that if I had done that, then I wouldn't have been able to get Martin Garibaldi's son turned back to life. Yeah. Oh, no, I know, I know. And you wouldn't so, have had those great reaction shots of people looking up at the screen and being horrified. And that was great. But it's Thank a good you. question. <laughs> well, Greg, while we have the new line, any last thoughts? Oh, you know, look, Diana has been through so much. And and I do, you know, I, one of the things you learn when you, when, when, when you have the privilege of writing characters like these, when, when, when the publisher turns to you and says, yes, for, for a little while, here are the keys. You may drive. Um, is... is you recognize very early that you are dealing with things that are much bigger than you and much greater than you and will endure. And even when characters are treated horribly, uh, even when things go horribly wrong, even when the publisher takes the direction that nobody seems to want them to take, the characters endure. Um, And, you know, I (laughs) have... I may not have a lot of faith in the people who call the shots. I have incredible faith in the character. There you go. Right, she Thank endures, you. isn't that yes, one that of the last things? Yes, that was your last line. You? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Mara? Well, I, I, my final thought on this is hopefully this roundtable and Women in Comics Week and Talking Comics in general will draw more people to the character and inspire readers to go back to previous series and different writers and find their perfect Wonder Woman. Well said. Mm -hmm. Trina, we'll let you finish this off. Yeah, I'm going to end it with another example from real life that shows how important and how well-known Wonder Woman is. You know, nothing to do with with those editors and studios. Okay, this was at, at my supermarket. I was just buying food, and I heard one guy say to another, oh, you better show that to Wonder Woman talking about something and i said wonder woman is she here and he said oh that's the name we use for this woman who's one of the checkout women because of the wonderful bracelets she wears so you you see you see what she is to everyone and i'm guessing these guys don't read the comics either but they know her they don't need the comics to know her and that does speak to how important she truly truly is Let me just thank everyone who participated in this tonight, certainly to Carolyn Coco, who is here with us, to Mara Wood, 
to Greg Rucka and to Trina Robbins. Uh, you have the talking Trina comments. The, no, you're not the late <laughs> not Trina <so>. Robbins. You're <laughs> Trina Robbins, comma, who was late. <laughs> We're not wishing that other on you. We need you for many, many years to come. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, thank you so much for gracing our, our stage with your presence tonight. Again, thank you thank so you much. Thank you for having us. Thank you so thank you. much. Our pleasure. All righty. Uh, back with... Just an afterword as a way to say thank you to all those writers and artists who brought us the legend of Wonder Woman. From our creators, Dr. William Moulton Morrison, Harry G. Peter, tonight's guests, Greg Rucka and Trina Robbins, Phil Jimenez, John Byrne, Gail Simone, all those are, are guests from our site here, you know, Mara Wood, uh, Professor Carolyn Coca. And I'd just like to close with this quote from someone who's thought of as the modern gold standard of creators here. It's George Perez. And he had this to say. To her fans, Wonder Woman has become more than a character. She is the sum of many parts. She is an Amazon, a superheroine, an ambassador, a spy, and a warrior, an avatar of truth, champion of the gods, and an emissary of peace, a loving daughter, trusted friend, steadfast protector, and formidable foe. She is Diana, Princess of Themyscira, Wonder Woman, icon. Until next time, (laughs) we're talking comics to be continued. 